The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. I hope you're all warm enough. If not, just cuddle up closer to the person next to you. <laughs> I'm Vanessa Southern. I'm the senior minister of this community. I'm joined by Mari Magaloni Ramos, who's our worship associate uh, this morning, and of course by the team of people who help make worship possible every week. Um, so grateful for Reiko Odelaine, who just brought us into worship this morning so beautifully, to Mark Sumner and the choir, who have some beautiful pieces for us this morning, too, and Bill Gans, who's our accompanist. But especially for our live stream folks, I know you and I are really grateful for Jonathan Silk, our director of communications, and Shuli Ong, and for Jackson Munn, who are helping bring this space and you and us and keeping us in connection this Sunday morning. And to Joe Chapeau, who's on the chat. So if you have any questions or need any help, he's there ready to assist you. So welcome from wherever this hour finds you, here or at home or some far-flung place in the world that life has taken you. It's great to be together. Mari and I have COVID tested, so when we take our masks off, it's because um, we are negative in the best way possible. And we appreciate all of you wearing your masks um, to make sure that everybody feels safe and comfortable. I wanted to let you know that this morning, which is the last Sunday of um, Black History Month, we are taking our offering for Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, which is lovingly known as Blue, and which has existed for a few years now, and we have given each year, and so this will be our offering for Blue. In case you don't know about Blue, there's a beautiful website, and you can read and find out more, but let me tell you the simple summary, that um, description that they have of their, themselves. We are Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, Blue is committed to expanding the power and capacity of black UUs among Unitarian Universalism, providing support, information, and resources for black Unitarian Universalists, and justice-making and liberation for black people through our faith. So with this incredible work as part of what we help sustain and celebrate um, later today, our offering will be taken so you can um, you know, give generously as we always do to support that work. This concludes our welcome. No babies that I know of were born in this church, so please everybody get busy. And uh, <laughs> it's lovely to be together. Let's say our words of our chalice lighting, which are written in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Let's sing together. So rise as you are able in body or spirit. Um, hymn number 90. It's one of my favorites, and we haven't sung it for a long time, but it's perfect for today's topic. From all the fret and fever.
I just wanted to say that I relied on visual clues, and Reverend Laura Shenham is also part of worship this morning, tucked away just behind the lectern where I couldn't see her, so our Minister of Congregational Life is also part of our worship this morning. Hello, I'm Worship Associate Mari Magaloni Ramos. If you are visiting for the first time or watching on video, we welcome you. You can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of the video and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can also get by signing up through a link to our connection form that is in the order of service and in the video descriptions. The order of service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect including our coffee hour, which takes place after the service. So please join in anything and everything that interests you. There's a few things that I would like to highlight today. Um, there will be a white allies meeting in the fireside room today at 1 p.m. It will be hosted by Reverend Shannon and Reverend Southern, and it will be a chance to have a dialogue about the work we are doing with the eighth principle. Also, don't forget to drop off any gifts you have for Copenhagen and uh, to sign up for making breakfast for the winter, um, the winter shelter. The Faithful Fools will be transforming into a little music hall today um, at 2 p.m. Their address is 234 High Street. Attendance is limited, so please check before showing up. Um, also, we'd like to invite you next week uh, for our newcomer orientation at 12.30 p.m. in the Fireside Room. And it will be the first Sunday of the month, so I'd like to invite you, uh, if you are a person who identifies as BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, or person of color, to our meeting, our BIPOC meeting in the... Um, before the service, and uh, it will be from 9.30 to 10.30. Um, it happens here, and it also happens online. So, it's gonna be time for our greeting. Um, when you come back, the choir will sing time from the choral dances of Gloriana, after which Reverend Laura Shenham, our Minister of Congressional Life, will do a time for all ages, and we will recite our covenant and doxology. So now let's Greet one another.
Good morning, good morning. So for our story this morning, I need your help, okay? So this side of the room are gonna be galloping horses. Can you give me some galloping horse noise? All right, stop. This side of the room is gonna be knitting needles. Can you give me some knitting needles? Maybe some snapping. All right, okay. So I'm gonna to point to the different sides of the room when we need the noise. And we know when we go up, the noise gets louder. When we go down, it gets softer, right? And when we go like this, it stops, right? Okay. So sometimes we go on a journey or a walk or a Sabbath and we don't necessarily know what we might encounter. But the most important thing is to be present and aware to understand how to respond and to gain the wisdom that you might get. So our story this morning is such a journey and it's done by a granny. It all began with a mistake, or so it seemed. Granny got up out of bed at midnight to be on her way to the market. She was getting ready to sell her wares to the country and put her things out for people to explore. Before she left, she had a little bite of eat and a sip to drink, and she offered her sweet pony, Smart, a bite to eat as well. She saddled up Smart, put her basket on, put her wares in, and put her knitting needles in, just in case she had time to do some knitting on the way. And she set off. She set off towards Crocombe, the market. And Smart, knew the way, and she trusted Smart, and he just went. Pretty soon, Granny fell asleep. All of a sudden, Granny woke up to the sound of galloping hooves. She realized that Smart, keep going, we've got a lot of galloping here. She realized that Smart was scared and tense and his tail was tight and his ears were perked up and she could hear the galloping coming. And all of a sudden, a hare jumped up onto her lap. She opened up her basket and put the hare inside. And then she looked at Smart and realized he started eating the grass, even though it wasn't very sweet grass. And so she took out her knitting needles and she started to knit. The galloping started increasing and getting closer, and all of a sudden, a rider appeared. Have you seen a hare come through here at all? Granny just knitted, continued to knit, shook her head no, for she didn't lie because the, the hare did not go past. She just knitted, shook her head no. The rider, and got on his horse and started galloping away. 
Pretty soon, Granny put her knitting needles away, and the galloping disappeared. And all of a sudden, out of her basket, a young woman crawled. She said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for saving me. For if I hadn't gotten past my pursuers, I would still be bewitched as a hare today and constantly hunted. And the young woman walked away, and Granny got on her horse and started going into the market. And when she got to the market, she realized it was 3 a.m. in the morning, and nobody was there to buy her wares. So she laid down on a bench, and she went to sleep, settled in, all comfy and smart, her pony rested right beside her. Who would have known that a horse and a pair of knitting needles could be a hero for a day? Then again, some say that finding the key to courage is to relax and trust our hearts to guide us when we don't even know what we need to do. Thank you. Please join me in saying our covenant. The words are printed in your order of service and then we'll sing together our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another. I remember back around the late 80s or early 90s, I watched a documentary where marine biologists using a tiny new submarine attempted to reach the ocean's abyss, essentially the end of the earth. Excited as they were to get to their destination, the biologists had to control their speed the speed of the descent in order to allow their bodies to acclimate. 
Their slow dive through the layers of the ocean had me on pins and needles. Down, down they went till they arrived at the ponderous darkness of the abyss. A cocoon of bright light surrounded their tiny vessel as it made its way around the inky blackness. Creatures never before seen by human eyes began to appear. Some approached the vessel timidly out of curiosity. Others floated by, oblivious. The crew's joy at being there was imbued with a sort of sacred reverence as they moved in wide-eyed silence along the depths. After a while, they came across an enormous pink flower. They used their mechanical arm to clip it and bring it to the surface, but during the ascent, the change in pressure caused the flower to disintegrate. They found another one and tried again and again, moving at different speeds until at last they found the rhythm and successfully brought one to the surface. I was living in Texas back then, and one evening I went to a poetry reading at a local barbecue joint. There were a surprising number of poets on the bill, but it was a sultry summer night and the beer was flowing, so the crowd that had cheerfully stuffed itself into the restaurant's covered porch was happy to settle in for the evening. One of the last poets that now night was a young man wearing preppy glasses and old cowboy boots. His face was already a panicky shade of pink when he got to the mic. Beads of sweat started forming on his upper lip as he contemplated the paper in his hand. It took him a moment to settle himself and find his voice. But when he did, the poem was extraordinary. I can still remember some of the imagery, the poet as a child sitting with his dad under a sycamore tree, both of them looking up at the night sky. I fell head over heels for him. We started seeing each other and it became clear that he wasn't just skittish about public speaking, he was also skittish about commitment. I told him about the deep sea documentary I had watched about how rushing had damaged the flower so we could take things slow and try not to damage our budding connection. Fortunately, he liked this story. He started writing me love letters and signed them with the word time. We were still together four years later. He was in Texas finishing his master's in creative writing and I'd moved to New York to study acting. We were quite busy, but we would make sure to call each other at least once a week to check in. After a while, when I casually looked through pictures and letters he sent, I'd come across the word time written in his familiar scribble, and it began to tug at me. I wondered if maybe our process of gentle, intuitive becoming had gone a little too far and had been hijacked somewhere along the way by a type of sweet neglect. 
But there was nothing passive about our relationship. Neither of us was wilting. In fact, we were thriving. We were exactly where we wanted to be doing the thing we were meant to do. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was the source of the tugging I felt. We had given ourselves over to time. And in return, time, time rewarded us with a true love, an uninhibited love, one that honored the mysterious unfolding of the other. We had found perfect rhythm. We had successfully brought our flower to the surface, and this is what it looked like. Him in Texas, and me in New York. So that tugging, I was acclimating to the reality that our time together, beautiful as it was, had reached its end.
I have a daily, most days, spiritual practice of journaling in the morning. And what I'm about to share is something that I wrote a few days ago. I think it's part of an ongoing conversation that each of us is in and that we are in together as to what grounds us and what can bring into our lives a sense of hope that transcends despair and grief, uncertainty. There are so many gorgeous possible different paths on the spiritual quest. And I might call this one a poetic reflection that turned into prayer. It's personal to me and my hope it would find resonance with others. So I invite us into some silence and then reflection. Out of the rain and bustle of a city, of a life here, alone and together, a flock of humans in a world of possibilities of human life. gathered to rest and to wonder, to knit life and our sense of it into a pattern we can lead from, dissolve into, believe in and trust. So much changes without our permission or bidding. So much needs help that feels beyond our grasp to hold and heal. But so much endures and persists too. This vaulted ceiling, the vaulted expanse of blue and clouded skies beyond it, the stars and comets of the gorgeous blue-black sky of night. Each day, babies being born and lives called back into the mystery from whence we all come and to which 
we will all someday return. And all the ordinary and extraordinary joys and obligations of each day called to do what we can and to be who and where we are, to love those we are with as best we can and to seek a peace that grounds us, to know this as the time and the place we were planted despite all change to feel held to this life. And present and attending to the mystery and commands of its unfolding. May this be so for us all. Amen. And now our offering, which is for the works and greater ministries of blue black lives, of Unitarian Universalism, our offering will be given and gratefully received. Sometimes it's fun and powerful to get back to the root of a word. 
Radical, for instance, doesn't mean revolutionary, at least not literally. It means, in its Latin etymology, root, like the root of a plant. And in that sense, radical choices are often revolutionary, but because they aren't addressing the surface issues or symptoms, but getting at the thing at its most fundamental place. The word sabbatical is similar. Its Greek sabbaticos root is like its Latin root sabbaticus, which means the same thing, which is of or appropriate to the Sabbath. And Sabbath has at its root the Hebrew word Shabbat, later Shabbat, meaning day of rest. And that word we can trace back to the book of Genesis in the Hebrew scriptures to the story of creation in which God works very hard for six days creating light out of darkness, molding moons and planets and flinging stars, bringing waters down, and then filling the planet with all kinds of feathered and furry and finally human creatures. I remember in a children's RE class early in my ministry when I was reading this story to the kids, one of them raising his hand and me pointing to him and him asking, when were the dinosaurs created? Many things, it turns out, aren't specifically referenced in Genesis, but at the end of the making of dinosaurs and tarantulas and molds and paramecia too, God takes a day of rest and commands us to do likewise. Later interpretations of the text would add on to this notion of rest that another that comes in another batch of seven. It shows up in the book of Leviticus, among other places, which, as many of you know, if you've studied the Bible at all or just read criticism of it, it's the book that gives a lot of the laws that Jews and later Christians were supposed to live by. And it gets made fun of and criticized because of some of the things that appear in it. But there, has, there is some good stuff in Leviticus too, like in book 25, when God brings God's people to the land that will be theirs, but gives a couple of conditions. First, that they be commanded to rest one day a week, Sabbath, but also this, when you enter the land that I'm giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years shall you sow your field, and six years shall you prune your vineyard and gather in the yield. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard then. Every seven years, the land is given a rest. Every seven years, a field is left fallow. I'm not a farmer, but most of us know that a failure to rotate crops and rest the land to plant nitrogen-fixing plants in an off year and other good habits of stewardship have often gotten farmers everywhere into trouble. The Dust Bowl comes to mind. <laughs> and the idea is lovely, too. This idea that you plan for giving everything a rest. 
It was this idea that somehow got translated in, of all places, universities in the 1880s in the United States, and then churches too, this idea of a sabbatical for professors, and then I buy churches who served them. And it spread into other professions too, though not universally. Ministers in our tradition now get credited a month a year to take every five years. And some don't really know what to do with this benefit because it's so countercultural. I've known churches that have asked their ministers for plans for what they will accomplish in their five months. <laughs> what classes they will take, what books they will write, what rigorous training they will complete. I've always thought that missed the point completely. Sabbatical, as you now know too, if you didn't already, like Sabbath has its root, its origins in this idea of rest. Sabbatical is about valuing what happens when we let things on the surface lie fallow for a while. We all know a bit about fallow times and what happens in them. Although I think that maybe most of us learned more about what that was like, how it sat with us when we were children, at least when I was a kid and being bored wasn't a crime or a failure of the parents, when summers were full of dog days and you'd find yourself doing all kinds of things that only really bored kids do, like making mud pies or creating elaborate make-believe games or perhaps reading books. <laughs> Later though in life, fallow times, maybe get a little less permission to show up in our lives. There's less structure for them. And I think our country has a lot of distrust for fallow times. Idle hands or the devil's workshop. <laughs> when the Industrial Revolution was changing the productivity of labors, how much someone could get done, and before we realized that human beings would adjust our standard of living and consumption ever upward, pundits talked in the early 1900s of the problem of leisure, the problem of it. But the author of Genesis and the authors of Leviticus and others in other wise voices through time, I'm sure, knew the power of rest and fallow seasons. This past January was one month of my sabbatical. And for me, the fallow time meant extra time with family in India and to read and indulge in the things I love, to graze in the mind and heart, you might say. And then the last week, as I've told some of you, I chose to do a long overdue and needed surgery. The surgery predicted a week of recovery time. And because of complications from anesthesia, that week was absolutely necessary, which meant that I spent a week largely in bed, fallow, you might say, 
sleeping and musing under the landscape of sky that was just outside my window. It was like a sabbatical field. There's so much that being sick recalls us to. It recalls us into immediate relationship with our bodies in a particular way. It reminds us of how much this body so often does without much complaint, how little it asks. When we're sick, we're grateful for any healing that happens, for any help we get, for medicine, if we're lucky enough to be able to access it, for a place to lay our heads where we are safe and can rest, and for everyone that reaches out with care and concern and help, even if we don't need it. So lying in bed, I thought a number of times about our pastoral care team. I thought about what incredible work they do, making sure folks get support and are remembered, coordinating food deliveries and rides to doctor's appointments. Often their work is quiet, so I'm making it a little less quiet. And if any of you want to be part of that work, from the weekly meetings and trainings and skills of pastoral care to just being on the auxiliary list like I am of I make an okay soup and can deliver it somewhere, then please reach out to the chaplains, chaplains at uusf.org. Getting a card from Laura Davis in the group, who I see sitting in the back, was so lovely, and texts from folks, it really mattered. Knowing if I needed a ride to an appointment, which I almost did, that they would spend time trying their best to find me one, it all mattered. There's a limit to what this group can do, though they are small and mighty, but they do a lot, and the more who join in, the better and stronger we will be in living this piece of our lives for one another. I was reminded of how much it does matter. And I was also reminded lying in bed of those I hadn't reached out to enough, though I knew they'd been struggling. Empathy. It might be one of the most important human feelings or capacities. Without it, we're in trouble. Psychopaths don't have empathy. Relationships rely on empathy. Motivation for radical change and ordinary healing companionship both depend on empathy, if you think about it. And what is empathy? It's this combination of experience that we draw on and imagination too, right? When we're being empathetic, we're projecting ourselves into someone else's life, drawing on what we know and asking and listening deeply to what they describe and trying to picture and feel what it might be to be walking in their shoes so that we can support them and be with them in their experience. It takes incredible amounts of energy, of emotional energy and time to be empathetic. It takes us being in touch with our experiences of pain, of body, of emotion, 
Things that I think most of us are taught to soldier through in the bustle of life in its headlong tumble. And I think maybe pandemic made all of that a little bit worse. It's totally normal to shut down in traumatic circumstances and just get by a day at a time. And many of us did that, probably not even realizing that we were. It's normal, but the road to empathy, it begins in our own beings and this connection to ourselves. Parker Palmer, the Quaker educator, used to say that soul was like a wild animal. You had to sit quietly in the forest and wait for it to come out. Empathy is like that too, part of that. There's a lot of sitting and waiting and attending to our own deepest humanity. Yet that's where the capacity begins, the oxygen mask on our own faces. And frankly, almost all of the basic and shared spiritual practices across tradition, if you look at them, they're aimed in some way at this attention and intention this listening and awareness to that same space in us. Meditation, journaling, prayer, hiking, but not with a podcast to distract your mind. Think of it as all fallow field time. Or the beauty and purpose of a weekly Sabbath, the old school version that says, you're not supposed to work, no laundry, no chores, just rest and reading and joy and time with loved ones and study and play. Weekly restoration, fallow for a day. It's all about this same need we humans have and how easy we get distracted. Sabbath and sabbatical, all of it asks us these practices a larger question and plunge us into it of how do we find, you and me, how do we find and guard and allow ourselves the spaciousness to stay human and connected? It's so hard. Thoreau escaped to Walden to try and find it. Leviticus commanded rest. It's not just a problem of 2023. Foundational for humanity through time has been this notion of prioritizing spaciousness then, of how we give ourselves permission to find fallow spaces of listening and stillness. And what happens in the human heart, a reminder what happens in the human heart, in relationships, in the human mind, when we can let them wander or give them the time they need, like a field, like a plant, to come up from the ground where it's seemingly fallow but flourish in a way that we can't force what's vital to the gardens of our beings, you might say. It all 
takes time and permission. It's part of what I found myself sitting with in that bed under the, <laughs> under the sky outside the window. But also, just to be clear, empathy in our lives, it also just requires that we slow down in really more micro and specific ways, ways that are just as hard to do and super nitty-gritty of each day. I was reminded in January of one other thing about empathy, which I'll throw into the pot, to the conversation. I was reminded in January of the Good Samaritan experiment at Princeton Seminary in 1973. Does anyone know of that experiment? <laughs> so we know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Someone's robbed, beaten, left by the side of the road. Two very religious people walk by and do nothing. I think it's two. And then comes the Samaritan, who is from a distrusted community, the enemy even, and that person stops and cares for the person by the side of the road and takes them to an inn and pays for their lodging so that the wounded and beaten person on the side of the road can get help. So good to know that story, because in the study in 1973, uh, seminarians were told to prepare to give a talk. Um, the talk would either be about job opportunities or the Good Samaritan story, and neither one of those made a difference. I think the results were pretty similar. But a third of the people were told that they should go across campus and go give this talk and that they were early, and a third were told they were right on time, and a third were told they were running late and chop, chop, better get there. And as they set out across campus, they passed by an actor who was lying in an alley, moaning and calling out for help. 63% of the people who were told they were running early stopped to help. 40% of the people on time stopped to help. 10% of those running late stopped. That was another reminder I had of the question of what gets in the way of empathy and connecting with people, people who need us to be connected to them, who we want to be connected to empathetically. Time isn't money. Time might be empathy. So how do we find the spaciousness, my friends, that we need to stay human and connected? An age-old question. It's the question that fallow time in a bed brought up for me. It's the question we have the challenge to live again and again. How do we find the spaciousness we need to stay human and connected? Fallow seasons, days, hours, time and attention and intention, practices of writing and breathing and walking, permission giving. With gratitude for everyone here who 
works hard to stay open and in relationship in ways that tend to the people around them and who do that so beautifully as all of us do. And with blessings for all the small things and the practices we keep in our lives to try and hold our hearts open and connected. May the work of fostering empathy in ourselves and in our world, may it be blessed because we need it and the world needs it too. Amen. I invite us to rise as we are able in body and spirit and sing our closing hymn, Winds Be Still.
I invite us to remain standing, but put our hymnals down as we say our benediction. And now, in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. <laughs>